0: In. Well, good morning church Thank you guys for being here, us some time out of your week to gather together as the body of Christ. Hey, before we dive into the word, I wanna to talk to you guys about two specific things that are coming up here at MCC. Both of them are actually gonna to happen today. One's gonna to be a recurring thing that's gonna to continue to happen days after today. But the first one I wanna to talk to you about is this event that we're doing here called Second Sunday. It's a gathering for single moms. And this is near and dear to my heart as a, as a kid who grew up with a single mom during those periods of time where it was really interesting and difficult and sometimes awkward for, uh, single mom to be a part of a church. And so we want to put emphasis on this here as a church. And so um, there's one of those happen today. If you want to continue to register to be able to like be in the loop with these that are coming up, maybe you can't come today. It's against it's right after this service. Maybe you can't come today, but you want to stay in the loop with the different things that are going on. Um, you can go register right there at mccreach.org events, find that second Sunday single moms gathering. And we would love to be able to help you get connected and plugged in in that way. If that's where you are. And the next thing I want to talk to you about is anybody who's really new here at MCC. That's kind of new over the course of the winter. That thing is Connecting Point. Connecting Point is right after this service. You can probably start smelling chicken parmesan as the service is going on. Don't let it tempt you out there. If you are not new, you cannot eat this lunch uh, with us today. But here's what's cool. Even if today is like your first time here, we'd love to have you come and eat with us and and, and meet with us and get to know us a little bit better. And here's the truth. You had to eat lunch anyway today. You might as well get it on the house of God. Uh, So if you're here, I'd love for you guys to be a part of that. It's gonna be an awesome time just to get together, get connected to the church. Hopefully you got a Bible. If you don't, that's fine. We're gonna have some of this on the screen. I encourage you to continue to bring your word to church with you. Uh, Many of you do that, go ahead and grab it. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. That's where we're gonna be today, Hebrews 12. I'll give you a second to get there. We're gonna start out in Hebrews 12, verse 12. We're gonna go to the first half of verse 15 today. Hebrews twelve, verse twelve. Love here in the pages turn. It's good stuff. Hebrews twelve, verse twelve. This is the word of God to the people of God. Therefore. Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Some of y'all are just like, all right, good. I'm good to go. I can leave now. That's all I need. Lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. I love it. Comes out of the gate swinging. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And this is what we're going to really lean into today. I want to give you the context. Verse 14 in the first half of 15. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness. Everybody say Holiness. Now say it like you used to go to church in the 60s, holiness. (laughs) There you go. Good job. Way to go. Y'all got it. Y'all went to the same churches. I didn't go in the 60s. I wasn't born yet. Um, But anyway, the holiness without which no one will see the Lord, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Let's read 14 and the first half of 15 one more time. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. And we ask that you would move and work in and amongst us today. Jesus, we come to you asking, begging, pleading with you to have your will be done here in this room as it is in heaven here in the hearts of your people as it is in heaven. And Jesus, I pray, uh, knowing today that there very well likely are someone here today who does not know you as Lord and Savior, who does not know you as Father God. And I pray that by the preaching of the gospel, by your word made flesh, come to earth, written and recorded, passed down in a trustworthy manner so that we can come to it, that the gospel would cause scales to fall off of eyes, that it would cause hearts of stone to melt, And that you would call those lost sinners home. And that by the blood of Christ, the power that is bound up in the blood of Christ, that they would go from lost to found, from dead to alive. It is only by your grace that that can happen. And so I pray that you would give them the gift of faith today. In your name, amen. So, yesterday, I got to kick back into one of my favorite things in the world, which is coaching six year olds. I know some of you are looking at me and you have a six year old and you're like, You like doing that? And I'm like, Yeah, I like doing that. It's just absolute chaos. It's fun. And it gives me good sermon material. And I'm going to use some of that today. (laughs) So, we are having our first scrimmage game of the season. We're trying to get ready. Our team's kind of getting back in. This is kind of our first practice. This is the first thing we've done with these guys since last fall, all right? So we're rolling with these guys. And this is six-year-old. This is not Titus's team. They're a little bit more competitive and a little bit more laser-focused because they're 10-year-olds. This is six-year-olds, and it's just herding cats, all right? So we're out there. We're having this scrimmage game. We're having a blast. And this other team that we're playing, good group of guys. I know the coaches, they're good guys. Um, but one of the things that they were doing, a little bit different style than what I have as a coach, um, in between innings, before their team would go out and take the field, they'd take the field. But instead of running to their positions, all the players would run to the pitcher's mound. And then they had this one particular assistant coach, and every team has got this assistant coach. It's like he should have been in the WWF or something. He's just like that guy on the team who's like reliving his glory years. And he's got these six-year-olds out there and he's down on his knee and he's got veins popping out of his neck. And he's like, who are we? And all the kids go, we? I don't even know what they were saying. I think it was warriors. I, I later found out that was their team name. And he's like, who are we? What do we do? And they're chanting these things back and forth. And, and they did that every inning. And Jessica, she's a saint. She has the saintly duty of being team mom, okay? So she's in the dugout with boogers and the tears and catcher's equipment. And so she's in there with them during that. And while this is happening, I'm kind of walking out to the field and she has this conversation with a kid on our team, Hudson. And Hudson sees this happening, this other team doing something that his team doesn't do. And they're screaming and yelling and who are we? What do we do? And he goes, Miss Jessica, what are they doing? And Jessica, in, in her infinite wisdom, she goes, they're just reminding themselves who they are. And then Hudson, or Hudson, in just the, the hilarity of a six-year-old kid goes, we don't need to do that. We know who we are. <laughs> it's like, yes. I thought that was hilarious. I was like, that was so perfect. And when I was thinking about that in regards to what I knew I was already gonna be talking about this week, I was like, I have to share you that story with this because I think sometimes that's how we get as Christians. We, we need to gather together and get in this big huddle and go, who are we? <laughs> we're Christians, because we go out and then we get on the field and sometimes we forget and we get scared and we get intimidated. But I love the confidence of of this kid on my team, he had a good coach, he goes, I know who I am. I know who we are, I know what we do. I don't need this rah-rah rally stuff, I know who I am and I fear that so many of us, as far as a Christ, we don't really know who we are. And without knowledge of who we are, we don't have confidence in what God's called us to. I think there are really two key components of who we are in God. I wanna lean into one of them specifically. One, we talk about a lot around here at MCC. Honestly, it gets, it gets played often and, and it is critically important. But the other one that we're gonna lean in today, which is a critical part of who we are, we don't talk about nearly enough at MCC, and that's my fault. So I wanna show you these two things. See if you can find them. It's actually in the book of Peter, 1 Peter 14 and 15. See if you can see the first identity or thing that we are as followers of Christ in this verse, as obedient children. Do you find it already? Okay, we talk about that all the time. We're God's kids, we're his people. If we put our trust in God, we went through Ephesians, one of my absolute favorite passages is preach, we have been predestined by God to be adopted into his family. I, I pray my prayers that oftentimes I'm calling him Abba Father. I love the reality of knowing that as a kid with a father wound, I've got a father in heaven. That's an amazing thing, it's an amazing truth. So that's there, and that's key. We gotta understand that, that that in Christ, we are adopted into his family. It's huge. We talk about that fairly often around here, though. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's his nice way of saying you used to be stupid. Um, But as he who called you is holy, okay, so now we're talking about God's identity, you also be holy. Uh Uh-oh. So I'm, his kid but I don't just get to hang out in the basement and eat fruit snacks and do whatever the heck I want. He's also called me to be what? Holy in all your conduct, not just the ones on Sunday, all your conduct since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So this is what I want to talk, I came to this passage in Hebrews this week and I was gonna do this whole chunk together and talk about steps to holy living and everything else, but I could not get past this concept and this reality that for me as your pastor, I have not spent enough time, this is a confession, I have not spent enough time teaching you what does holiness mean? What is it? So I got some big questions and I'm trying to answer these with you guys today. What is holiness? And what does it even mean to be holy, to live a holy life. If, a, if a, one of our kids in elementary school came up to you and said, what does it mean to be holy? What is holiness? What would you say to him? I, I sent that text message to Jessica this week. I said, if Titus came and asked you, what does it mean to be holy? What would you tell him? And you know, when you're texting somebody and you get the little three dot thing, cause they're typing, and I was like, all right, cool. She's gonna have a great response. And it was three dots for a little while. And then it went away. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not because she doesn't know the answer. It's because she knows I'm looking at the answer. She's like, I ain't got time for your theological questions. I'm trying to teach these kids at Strong Rock. And uh, we had a great conversation after the fact, but even in that conversation, she opened my eyes to even just some misconceptions that her growing up in in a very like staunch, somewhat religious Baptist church as a kid, it has even kind of translated into some of her thinking when she hears this word, she thinks other certain words and even how she would describe it is kind of connected to stuff that may not really be the heart and the root of what God's word actually tells us, holiness actually is. And so I want to I read you a quote. There's been three books that have really helped me grasp and, and lean into this over the course of this past week. One of them is a book by a guy named uh, J.I. Packer. He wrote a book called Rediscovering Holiness. Another one by a guy named Kevin DeYoung called uh, Whole Inner Holiness. And then another one called Awe of God by a guy named John Revere. They've been super helpful. But I want to quote to you something from uh, J.I. Packer's book. And this is an amazing quote that he had on holiness. He said this, it's extraordinary how little the New Testament says about God's interest in your success. It's kind of his way of nicely saying, the New Testament doesn't talk a whole lot about you being successful. But by comparison, the enormous amount it says about God's interest in our holiness. It's his way of saying, if you read the New Testament, it doesn't really see this God who's really interested in you being successful. What you really see is this God who's interested in you being holy. So let's look at our passage and see if we can begin to figure some things out around whatever's this holiness that he's called us to. So our passage, Hebrews 12, 14, 15a. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So let's just take that sentence for what it is. First of all, he's saying strive for peace with everyone. What he's after there, and again, that one's pretty simple. He's saying we've got to strive to embody the peace that we have now achieved through our relationship with God. We used to be enemies of God, but because of Jesus's grace, he was treated like the ultimate enemy of God on the cross. Now we can be at peace with that God. And we have missed out on a full understanding of the fact that we have now been made at peace with God if we continue to live as enemies with each other. So he says, strive for peace. Also, and I believe this is even some of where this peace flows out of, strive for peace. And then he also says, strive for holiness. He says, without holiness, this is somewhat alarming, no one is going to see the Lord. And see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So right at the beginning, he gives us this imperative, strive. We need to understand what this word entails. Because sometimes we can think strive, if you're reading the NIV or something, it may say pursue. And we can think that's just like, I'm just falling around. There's something that I'm just going to kind of go after. But the intensity that is bound up in this Greek word is something I really want you to see. It comes from this word, dioko. And it means to aggressively chase like a hunter pursuing a prey. It's pursuing with the intent to capture. It almost entails this reality that if I don't catch this thing, like a, like a hunter desiring to chase down and hunt a prey it is my only source of sustenance. If I don't get this, I die. It's that type of chasing and pursuing. If I don't get this, I don't live. And this is what he says. He says, strive. He says, chase actively like a hunter pursuing prey. Holiness, holiness, holiness. Now, Let's go back to our verse. Strive. So chase it that way. Strive for peace with everyone and for this holiness with which no one, without which no one will see the Lord. And as I was racking my brain around this and just getting captivated by this word holiness and just going down one of these really holy rabbit trails that God sends me on a lot of times, I tried to ask myself, like Trent, when was the last time you really preached at MCC specifically and explicitly on this topic of holiness? And I couldn't remember. And that's, um, a discredit to you. And so today is the day where I do my best to lean into that. But then I tried to make it on the macro level, not just the micro level of what I do here. Why does the church as a whole, like why don't we talk about holiness more? Why isn't it something that it's leaned into because it is so prevalent all throughout scripture? And I'm gonna show you a little bit more of that today. But why is it sometimes that when we hear this word holiness, sometimes we cringe a little bit? I think it's because, I don't think, I know it's because We have an active enemy, he's Satan. And this person, Satan, who is the ultimate evil in the world, who lives and breathes and manipulates so many things, even things inside of the church. Satan, this character, he realizes, because he can read what God's word says about what the church is supposed to be. So Satan, okay, he knows how to read and he goes to scripture. And he reads the primary descriptions of what the church is supposed to be like. And he comes to passages like Ephesians five. Ephesians five, verse 25 through 27. I want you to read this, all right? We went through the whole book of Ephesians, see if you can remember some of this. When the church is described, like this thing that we're a part of, this bride of Christ that we're a part of, Satan reads what Jesus is hoping to continually make his bride, his church because he reads passages like what the apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians five twenty-five through 27. This is what he says, just listen close. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here's why. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word. So that, again, here's why we clean her. Here's why he's cleaning the bride, by the washing of his word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now he's just summing all those last two things or three things that he's already said he's trying to do. What those are, what they fall under the umbrella of is the last part there of verse 27, that she might be holy without blemish. Okay, so Satan reads that Jesus's desire for his bride is that she would be what primarily? Holy. That's what he wants his bride to be. So Satan reads that, and he knows that. Now, he sees that about the church, and then Satan also knows how to read what people like Isaiah, and then the prophet, or the apostle John, said about God. So he's read what the Bible says about the church, and he's read what the Bible says about these two guys, Isaiah and John, who both got these visions of what God's throne looked like, and what God's throne had things around it doing. And in both those accounts, there's these heavenly creatures called seraphim, and they're around the throne of God going holy, holy, holy. There's this is crazy passage in the um, book of Revelation. This is, this is John, Isaiah even resembles this in the Old Testament. He says, there are four living creatures. This is the seraphim things. Each of them with six wings. They're in overdrive, super flying. And are full of eyes all around and within. So I don't even like close your eyes and think about what in the world that looks like. I mean, it's just like a ton of GoPros on their outside and GoPro cameras on their inside. Wild. Um, And day and night, here's what these things are doing. Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I was reading that, I was like, God, why do they have six wings? Like I guess angels have two wings and they fly. Why do these things have six wings and why are they covered in so much eyes? And then the Holy Spirit just goes like, it's because God's holy. And what can you do when you have more eyes? You can behold more holiness. What can you do when you have more wings? You can get a you know, 360 navigation. I'm just checking but all this. You're like, like that's what they have all of this for. It's not tools to make them crazy so that you have nightmares at night. These six wings and insides and outside cover with eyes is so they can embolden. Behold this holiness is there in front of them, which is crazy to think about what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy. We talk about a lot of things at church. We talk about love, we talk about grace, we talk about mercy. Isn't it crazy though, that when these angels are around the throne of God, they're not going love, love, love. Does, is God love for sure? Does God love us for sure? They're not going peace, peace, peace. They're not going grace, grace, grace. They're going holy, holy, holy. It's no coincidence that in our modern Christian music, in most pulpits, Christian movies, just the themes, Which do you hear more of? God is love or God is holy? All right, yeah, you hear God is love. Now, is God love? For sure. But here's what you need to know. And I'm sorry for not having told you this yet. God's love for you flows out of his holiness. And even if you go to scripture, there are 400 plus verses that talk about the holiness of God. You know how many times the Bible says God is love? Two. And they're in the same verse says God is love. Now, there's plenty of examples of God showing his love, but as far as explicitly stating, God is love. We got it in one verse in 1 John. And 400 plus times, we get God is holy. So, if you're Satan and you know those two realities, that when Jesus talks about his bride, the church, the primary thing he's trying to make her is what? Holy. And then when you see the primary descriptive of who God is, and it is what? Holy. What do you do down here on planet earth? You cause great confusion around what holiness really is. Because those two things are mission critical for the bride of Christ to understand. And so what he did is, uh, you know, and again, I'm not going to claim to know exactly all of how he works and what he does, but I'm just going to try to look back through the corridors of history and church history, and specifically American church history. What I believe Satan did during that period of time, and this is maybe what some of you in this room, if you've got a little bit more gray in your hair or less hair, um, you grew up in these churches where there were a generation of mean-spirited, controlling pastors, guys that I don't really even think like people, they just like telling people what to do. And they let Christianity become known for all the things that you cannot do. And it become a religion that was just based off all of the things that this little group of people was against. And these people beat people up with legalism based around their version of what holiness was. And they made their version of holiness a means unto itself. They're the ones who said, here is what you have to do. And if you don't do blank, you're going to hell. And if you do do blank, you're going to hell. These are the guys that told us that if you have drums at your church, you're going to hell. These are guys that told us if you don't wear a suit and tie to that church, you're going to hell. If your wife doesn't stay home and fold laundry all day, she's going to hell. If you play cards, those cards are from the devil. So if you play goldfish with your grandkids, guess what, you're going to hell. And this is the church that some of you guys grew up in and there are all these things that you could not do. And and maybe you didn't pay attention during those periods of times, but here's one of the things that some of you rebelled out of that, because you recognize the hypocrisy in those people. Because what they did is they just found the big five of don't drink, don't cuss, don't have sex outside of marriage, don't lie, and don't get divorced. And if you were in one of those churches, any given Sunday, you showed up and you heard something about those five. And what happened is because those preachers leaned into those five things and talked about the holiness, 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 don't do these things, don't do these things. If you do those other worldly things of, of watching HBO or listening to any music that's not you know, on the radio or Stephen Curtis Chapman or what's that old lady with the patsy, whatever, I don't know, some of the patsy or the gaither. If you're not, if you're listening to anybody other than the gaithers, you're going straight to hell. Like These are the things we talked about. And, and they leaned so hard into that that people who have a bend for rule following, you know what they did? They followed those. And because the fab five sins got the most playtime in their sermons, people went, okay, well, I ain't drinking, I ain't cussing, I ain't lying, I ain't sexing outside of my marriage, and I ain't got a divorce yet. You know what they did? They put the Gold Star Christian sticker on their chest and judged everybody else. Meanwhile, Sins like racism, sexism, and cowardice in sharing the gospel. And you'd get up and hear the pot-bellied preacher whose belt's busting and sweating all over his place preach about everything except gluttony and all these things. We'd sweep all these other things under the rug and we had churches full of congregation members convinced that if they didn't do these five things, they were good to go. And many of you you went to those congregations as a teenager and you saw the hypocrisy in those preachers because you were able to see their real life. You were able to talk to and have relationships with their kids, and those kids told you what they were like at home. And you rebelled, and you're like, I ain't, I ain't for me. And you checked out. And honestly, I don't blame you. But here's what happened. Many people were burned by that, that version of holiness, the hellfire brimstone holiness. And here's what church leaders did, an equally erroneous thing. We took that pendulum of holiness and we swung it all the way over to the other side. And some, some very clever pastors came to passages in God's word and they read them and they said, well, man, we kind of can't avoid all this holiness stuff in here. Like it's kind of all over the place. And so what they did, well-meaning, I believe, what they did is they said, you know what? Holiness really is important, but let's say it like this. Jesus is our holiness. You don't have to worry about holy living. Jesus is the one who lived holy for you. And what they did is they lumped these two aspects of holiness into one pot and called them the same thing. In a lot of these churches, and, and, and maybe some of you thought MCC or, or feel like MCC as has the rumblings of one of these, and this may be what attracted you here. These are churches that very much bang the drum of come as you are. And hear me, MCC is a come as you are church. But if we're not careful, you can bang the drum of come as you are so long and so loud that you never hear this truth, come as you are, but you cannot stay as you are. You can't. And these are churches, and, and, and again, I came, from, I came out of one of these. These are churches where such an emphasis is made on church attendance, and there's no emphasis on discipleship and holiness. And so what we told a, a group of, of men of God, that, that generation of men of God was, boys, all you got to do is just get to church. Just come to church, come to church, come to church. And so what these men of God did is these men of God did come to church. They showed up but they kept living with their girlfriends. They showed up, but they kept looking at porn. They showed up, but they kept getting drunk. They showed up, but they stopped cussing or kept cussing. They showed up and they kept being racist. They showed up and they kept telling lies anytime it benefited them. Because all we made as the finish line was keep showing up, man. Nobody ever called them to holy living. And so what has happened in the church in America, at least, is Satan has caused decades worth of confusion around what holiness really is. And today, what I wanna to try to do is I wanna to try to bring some clarity to the confusion. So here's what holiness really means. If you go to the Greek word, holy is this Greek word, shows up in the New Testament, hagios. And what it really means is not pure. It means set apart. Primarily, like really the root of hagios is different. And so for the ancient Jews, when they built the temple, the temple was a holy temple, which meant it was different. This is, unlike any building here, this is, this is holy set apart. This is completely different. And our God is a holy God. He is different than what you got out there or the Asher or Baal. He's different than all these other things. It is a holy God. It is sacred. It is set apart. It is out of the ordinary. That's what holy means. Different. Now, to go to holiness. Holiness is, you can see it in here. This is the same Greek word, hagiosmos, in your Bible, and, and, and likely even in what we just read out of that passage in 1 uh, Peter, more often than not, when hagiosmos is the Greek word in scripture, the Bible is written, written in Hebrew and Greek primarily. In the New Testament, it's primarily written in, in Greek. The Greek word there, when you see holiness, hagiosmos is what is behind that. More often than not, it's actually not translated holiness. Do you know what it's translated as? Sanctification. That big S word. We've talked about that a decent amount here. Sanctification is the process of making or becoming holy, set apart. So hagiosmos is the process of this happening in your life. It's you becoming someone who, because God is holy and different, you are what? Holy and different. And you are set apart. You are not like the world anymore. You've been called by God and for God out of it. Now, let's talk about this. This is a definition I think we have really missed. Holy, and this is me trying to put both of those together and give you a good working definition. Holy is set apart for God to be, as it were, exclusively his. This is what we've missed on. We've just gone in the come as you are church. Okay, um, well, I'm holy. He made me holy and his holiness is here. But then we never surrendered to his lordship and said, You have made me holy in Christ, yes and amen. But now, in this life forward, in my journey in discipleship, I am exclusively yours. Your will be done in, not the world, in my life, in my neck of the woods. I'm exclusively yours. I'm all yours. So what this looks like as far as how we would talk both to God and about our own selves, I would say it's kind of like this. To the holiness of God, it's you are so different, set apart, sacred, revered, the holiness of disciples of Christ is this one right here. This is the holiness of God. You'd say the top line there. This line here is talking about this. as the holiness of the disciples of Christ, this is our battle cry. This is our heart cry of holiness. I am different from the world. And I have been set apart by God and for God. And to this God, I am saying I am exclusively yours. I'm exclusively yours. That's holiness. That's what it means to live a holy life. Saying, because you are different, God, I am now different and not going back to the dead way that was before. So back to the pendulum. What it did is we started in the hellfire brimstone holiness that was, you gotta live your life this way or you're gonna burn. And then it swung all the way to what I would call progress our positional holiness. It says, because you're in Christ, you are holy. And for churches, and you could go down the road of our town and you could stop in and listen to a message at this street corner, and it would be talking about, you better get holy or you're gonna burn. And then you could go to another one. It's probably gonna have a name like a revolution church or something. You could go to that church and you're gonna hear a message that Jesus is your holiness. Just get here and you're good. do not You don't have to change, or if you get around to it, change. Here's what I want to tell you. The good news is those are both different sides of the same coin. And what Satan loves to do, he's been doing this forever. He wants to do it in our church too, is to get one group of people who go over here and say, it's all this. And one group of people to go over here and go, it's all this. Meanwhile, Jesus is in the middle going, "Mm, no, read the Bible, all of it, put it all together. It's both and, not either or. So I wanna talk to you about, and hopefully we can grasp this, are the two types holiness. There's two types of holiness. There's positional holiness and there is progressive or behavioral holiness. There's positional holiness and progressive holiness. Let's talk about that first one, positional holiness first. This is the in Christ holiness. This is what he has made us. This is over and done with the moment it happens. Positional holiness. This goes back to what we talked about in Ephesians. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be what? Holy and Blameless before him. Where? Positionally before him. So we are holy and blameless before him. That's our position. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. There's those two identities. I'm holy and I'm his. His son, his daughter, adopted into the family through, how that happened? Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So this is positional holiness. Oftentimes this is also talked about as justification this is the in the moment purification of my sins so that now Jesus is treated like an enemy of God and I'm treated like a friend of God I am now justified as I stand before God in the heavenly realm it is just as if I've never sinned before and he when he looks at me he doesn't see my mess, mistakes or the, what I've done in the past or even my stumbling here and there efforts to try to be better. What he sees is the salvation working on me to bring me to the fullness of my justification before him. And I am positionally before him holy. So what you need to hear in this room, if you were in Christ, you are holy. You are holy. Holy. Now, this is the side of the coin that the come as you are church loves. This is the side of the coin that the get your act together church realizes is there, but doesn't talk about a whole lot. So that's the positional grace that is given us. And I need you to really understand, this is where it comes, this is, you have to get this before you understand and can move on to the other side of the coin that is our progressive or our behavioral holiness. Let me show you a passage I think points to this. It's actually where we are, it was the second time seeing it. It's when we started today with. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in what? Your conduct, your behavior. You didn't behave your way into salvation. You believed your way into salvation. You didn't, as far as positional holiness goes, you didn't believe your way even in, or you didn't behave your way into positional holiness. You believed your way into positional holiness, This is progressive holiness that now demands and calls us into a behavior, a conduct, a new way to live our life that allows the holiness that is in us to now begin to move outside of us. For example, Jessica and I, when we got married, we got married on uh, June 17th, 2011. Today is whatever day it is, uh, Sunday, February 11th. I am not more married to my wife today than I was that day in June. We are just as married. Positionally, I am married. I haven't got more married to her. Now, what has happened over the course of those 13 years, I think I did my math right. What has happened over the course of those years is I have now learned to embody the behaviors of a good husband who realizes and understands, though with failure at times what my job is in this covenant relationship that I have now gotten into with that beautiful woman and a holy, righteous God. This is the position, and this is also the progression of the covenant of marriage, and it is the same way in our relationship with our spouses. Okay, so nod your head, even if it's kind of sheepishly, if now you kind of get to a place where you understand at least progressive holiness versus position holiness. We okay on that? Okay. Here's the real test. Let's go back to our verse in Hebrews and you tell me which holiness is talking about. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Is he talking about positional holiness there? Or is he talking about progressing holiness there? Good job. He's talking about progressing holiness because go back to the first word strive. You didn't strive for your salvation. You didn't work for your salvation. You believed in that salvation came to you. And because of your faith, not a work that you did, but because of your faith, you were saved by grace, not by work so that no one can boast. Now it says you were saved by grace through faith, not by works. Now you have some work to do. Strive. Begin to work out this holiness. Let it be a part of your life. Let this be something you are progressing in. And then he tells us why we have to do that. Without that, no one's gonna see the Lord. So the point I believe he's trying to make here is this. I won't see God unless my life says I am all yours. Now, what I didn't write up there and what the passage is not saying is I will not see God unless I say I am all yours. Listen, this this is the great danger in the come as you are church is we led evangelical rallies and well-meaning Christian camps and conferences and went on giant excursions for the kingdom of God to get people to merely raise their hand and say, I'm all yours with an asterisk beside it that just said tonight or an asterisk beside it that said until college or an asterisk beside it that said until it goes against my testosterone. So what I'm calling us to is to be a people that realize now we don't just in a moment of salvation go I'm all yours and then just go, (laughs) you know, you got, I got your label on me. You just, you know, I'm gonna do what I gotta do down here and you know, I guess I'll get there. No, 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 I'm all yours. Now I live a life. This is why I said this. My life says, not just my words, but my life says. Cause look, I can go to Jessica and, and hold up in front of her face this marriage contract that goes, it says, look right there, I'm yours. Meanwhile, like I'm gonna go get jiggy with, you know, these, these people that I met on Facebook, but I'm yours. Technically I'm yours. Meanwhile, I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. No, 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 no. I can say, and I can have a piece of paper. You can have your baptism certificate up on the wall at your house. You can have that piece of paper that says, in a moment of time, you said, I am all yours. But it's not about what your mouth said. It's about what your life says. Does your life say to God, the holy God, I am all yours? Let's go back to our verse. So he says, strive for peace with everyone for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now this verse 15 is is inextricably connected to verse 14 because the answer for how to strive for peace and holiness and actually get it is bound up in obtaining this grace of God. Now, when you ask most people, what is the grace of God? They'll say, the grace of God is what saved me. It's by grace I'm saved. They'll quote to you the same thing we've been talking about all day. That's grace. Grace is the free gift of God for salvation unto men. But the problem is, in the same way that we don't realize that there's two sides to holiness, we don't realize that there's two sides to grace as well. There is the grace that in fact did save you, hopefully at that conference or that camp or during that sermon. But that is not the only part of grace. The same grace that saved you is the grace that now after that moment of salvation is the grace that hopefully is not just saving you, but is sustaining you. That's why I would say it like this. There's saving grace and there's sustaining grace. Sustaining grace is what keeps the mom of that crying newborn from falling asleep and dropping the kid out of her arms because she's so exhausted as it wakes up for the fourth time in the middle of the night to eat. Sustaining grace is a thing that allows someone who has caused you or your family inextricable harm to actually be forgiven. Sustaining grace is what frees you from the bondage and change of the addictions that hold you. Saving grace is saving you, even though you may stumble and hurt and walk through that gut-wrenching painful addiction for a long part of your life. And you may go up roundabout ways and you may go in circles and you may have relapses. God's saving grace, I believe is gonna save you through it. But his sustaining grace will be the thing that if victory is won, it will be won through his sustaining grace's victory in your life. I want, to, I want you to see, Pastor, uh, Paul and Peter both make this connection here. And this is, these are passages, we're not just talking about saving grace, but sustaining grace. This is Paul talking about how God humbled him with his thorn in the flesh. He's talking about how he had this experience where God spoke to him and said these words. My grace is sufficient for you. At this point, Paul's already saved. He's complaining with God about what he's dealing with down here still though. And God goes, my grace is sufficient for you. To which if you're in Paul's head at that point, you're going, yeah, I know I'm already saved, but I'm struggling. And God goes, no, 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 no. My grace is sufficient for you. Not just saving grace, sustaining grace. For my power, which is connected to the grace, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly. This is Paul talking now. I'll boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that what the power of Christ, which is that grace, the power of Christ may rest upon him. Peter picked up on the same idea. They were sharing notes with each other. May grace and peace be multiplied in you, to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now. Saving grace is not multiplied in you. You get the amount that it takes to save you and it's there and it saved you. It's, that's that gift of grace and belief and faith. But what he's saying here is talking about sustaining grace. And it can be multiplied and it can bubble up and well over and overflow out of your life. There is an unlimited power source that many of us are just refusing to tap into because we think that, that grace is just to save us not just to, and not also to sustain us through the craziness of life down here. He's saying because you don't realize that and now you went, well, I'm saved. I'm just gonna roll my sleeves up and white knuckle it through this life and try to do all these things to try to be this good person. No, 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 no. That same grace that saved you is the same grace that's gonna empower you and sustain you and give you the power to live this holy life. It says his divine, and again, Peter does the same thing that Paul did, connects grace Sustaining grace to your experience of power in this life. The power to say no, the power to say yes, the power to take that bold step of faith, the power to abstain. He says, grace is what gives you that power. He has granted to us all things to pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Now, back to our verse. So when he says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, what in the world is he talking about there? How would I, if I don't get this holiness, fail to obtain the grace of God? Let me explain it like this, Uh, Chris Washington. Say Chris Washington, he's in my small group, he comes to me, he's like, hey Trent, um, God laid on my heart to start a landscaping business. You know, Chris right now is teaching like trigonometry and algebra and all sorts of crazy stuff at Pike County School, pray for our teachers Uh, and Chris. But he says, <laughs> like, I want out. And he says, I want to start this landscaping business because these kids are crazy and I want to plant trees and cut grass and nobody talked to me. And uh, I said, okay, man, I love that God's put that on your heart. I want to be a partner with you in that endeavor. God's laid it on my heart to buy you a, uh, a dually diesel truck to be able to haul all your equipment in. Chris, what brand do you want? Dodge, Chevy, Ford? Ford, Ford, Ford guys in the room. Okay, where'd to go. Okay, So I buy Chris a 2024 Ford F-350 diesel dually truck to get this endeavor going. And what Chris does is he parks it in his driveway and every day he goes out there, he pushes that button, turns the seat warmers on and he sits in the driveway and listens to the stereo. (laughs) Never hooks a trailer up, never goes and gets in a yard. He is failing to obtain the gift of powerful grace that I've given him in this powerful vehicle, this powerful tool that could allow him to really answer what God has called him to. But he's failing to obtain it because he's not leveraging it for its good. He's not using it. So here's what I'm saying in this. Sustaining grace of God is actually what empowers you to live that holy life. You're going, how do I live a holy life? You have sustaining grace. See, this this is when you go from being a miserable Christian to a joyful Christian. Over my course of of being here, and I love being a part of an elder-led church, one of the things that I look for when I'm seeing men of God around our church who may be the next elders of our church, and this is not something I used to look for. One of the things I look for is joy because you can know all the theology in the world, you can have good doctrine and all those other type of things, but if you still are just bound under this weight, this heavy burden, and you just feel like you can't get it right, and you're just trying to work hard, and you're just down on yourself, and you're a walking Eeyore, but has really good theology, you know what? You have misunderstood the sustaining grace of God. A person who knows that it's the power of God inside of him, empowering him, that is a new man of God who is walking with some joy in his step because he refuses to take himself so seriously because he knows he can't do it, but he's watching, as he surrenders to God, the sustaining grace and power of God begin to move and work through him and he's actually got a smile on his face because he knows God's working in him. That's what I'm looking for. Some men of God with some joy. Some men of God who are quick and humble and go, God is moving and working in me and no, I don't have it all figured out, but goodness gracious, how beautiful are his new mercies every morning for the mistakes I made yesterday. That is a joy that cannot keep a frown on your face. And I'm praying some more men of God at our church find it. So, what does this lead us to? This leads us to be hopefully a people that can, from the bottom of our heart, say these four words, I am all yours. This, this, is what, this is what we, as the holy bride of Christ, this is what we cry out. This is the heart cry of the holy church. And this again, this is what Satan would love to see disrupt. He would love for, for those of you, if let's just be honest in this room there are heads people and there are tails people some of you heads people in the room are like you're gonna go to hell if you don't do all these good things and you're, you're all about the progressive holiness progress, 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 progress if you're not progressing you're dead you're gonna go to hell and then there's tails people and you're a little bit more on the positional side and you're the people Jesus got me yes he does but go do stuff <laughs> look we're both sides of the same coin guys Let's be patient with each other. Sometimes the positional grace people are gonna get on your nerves and try to be your Holy Spirit. And sometimes the positional grace people are gonna look at you and go, you need to repent of the good things you did for the wrong reasons. And we're both the same. We both have the Holy Spirit working in us. And God's called us both to be able to be people who experience both the positional Holiness that God has given us in his son Jesus and the progressing holiness that he is calling his church for and to. Now, I'll end with this. Say there's this young couple. They go climb to the top of beautiful Blood Mountain in North Georgia. And the boyfriend gets to the top of the mountain. He's got a plan. He's got a ring in his pocket. And he gets down on one knee and he says, Sarah, Will you marry me? And Sarah, she jumps for joy and tears start coming out of her eyes. And she's so excited, you know, she's like, yes. And she, she's, oh my gosh, I thought you would never ask. You've been taking so long and you've been not missing. You've been missing all the hints that I've been giving you. Yes, I will be your wife, except for one time a year when I was asleep with my old high school sweetheart. <laughs> and, then, and then he kind of chokes a little bit and he goes, Wait, 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 say that one more time. Say, well, yeah, yeah, I really do want to be your wife. I cannot wait to be your wife. But again, like I said, um, one time a year, I just need about a weekend out of the year so I can be with the guy that I still have feelings from high school with. I just want to be with him. One one time Again, you got all the other, 51 weeks. I just need one weekend with him. Now, fellas in the room, are you going to put the ring on her finger? No, you're going to close the box and you're going to leave her on the mountain. (laughs) and you laugh. But why do we think Jesus is coming back for a bride who treats him that way? Who goes, yeah, 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 I got you. you I'm, all, I'm, I'm, I'm all yours except for you know, a few weekends a year when I wanna go on a boy's trip or I, a few weekends a year when I wanna go you know, and do these things. I'm, I, I'm, I am yours except for when I'm at the house and nobody's around and I got Wi-Fi. I'm all yours except for those times. See, in the same way that none of you men in this room wanna be married to a woman who goes, I'm all yours except for blank, Jesus is not coming back for a church that goes, we're all yours, except for when it comes to this. And so my, my prayer is that as we commune with him, we can just keep it simple today and go, Jesus, we are all yours. You can specifically just go to Jesus and go, I am all yours. Now we're gonna do something a little bit different today. We hopefully we made a little bit of time for this and you can just sit in this moment. Today we've we've selected a a collection of songs here at the end of the service. I know, man, I I have eyes too, okay? So I know when y'all take communion, you get up and you go and you do your stuff and you go get in your car and you try to beat the crowd out, okay? Let's offer a king what he deserves, worship today. I believe today that something of the gospel has been revealed to you and to just go, well, I'm gonna go get my kid and leave, or I gotta set up for a a football party, I gotta get out of here. So here, here's what I'm calling you to do. And, and some of you in this room, you're not singers. You're like, nah, yeah, like, sing, no, worship, worship your king today. Express every one of these songs is gonna be mentioning this word holy. And now hopefully that you don't just see it as this random word that we sing about and yawn. Now that you see holiness for what it really is, my hope is that your heart cries out in the same way. And when you say those words holy, you know it is synonymous with you saying, I am all yours. And you can say it from a heart that maybe even for the first time today really does believe it. Let's pray. Jesus, we are all yours. Let those not just be words on our lips, but the demonstration of our life. As we commune with you, I pray that the power the sustaining grace power that is bound up in this cup and in this broken bread would be what gives us the grace to not just say, I am all yours, but to live, I am all yours in your name.